Well, it's great to see you all and to be here this morning. Um, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, taking a short break from the book of Daniel. So if you would, grab a Bible. Um, if we don't have one, if you have your phone and can pull it up there. Um, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Now this year, as we've been all aware and talked about, been reminded of, and just prayed about, has been so challenging for so many of us in so many different ways. Uh, many struggle with mental and emotional health, struggling with anxiety, discouragement, uh, depression, feeling unmotivated. Uh, many of you kids have had a challenging time with school and the changes that have come in doing schoolwork. Many are grieving uh, in light of physical suffering or the physical suffering, the intense physical suffering of those whom you love. Many are struggling with their spiritual health, right? rhythms of pursuing the Lord in the word and prayer. I have been thrown off like so many other rhythms and can be hard to get back um, going again. Um, you know, after COVID or, you know, whenever this thing is through, uh, many have predicted that a large number of churches will close, many have, and that a significant percentage of members of churches will just not come back. Um, and so this is significant. People uh, will stray, from, are straying from the Lord, drifting from Him slowly, and a year from now they'll wake up and feel just completely um, away from the Lord and His people. So this morning we're going to pause from our series in the book of Daniel and turn to the book of Hebrews to be encouraged um, about Jesus and true community. So Hebrews, this book was written to encourage exhausted Christians. And that's why this book was written. Many of the believers who first received this letter, these Christians in the first century, had suffered for identifying as Christians, and it seems like there's greater suffering on the horizon coming for them. Some were thinking that it wasn't worth it anymore, that Jesus wasn't worth it anymore, that identifying with other Christians wasn't worth it, especially if it, it puts you in prison which seems to be going on at that time with these people. Some were slowly drifting away from Christ. That's the language used in this book. Some stopped joining the gathering and the gatherings of the church community. I mean, very similar things are happening today with Christians in our culture, right? Feeling this pressure of what, what happens socially, relationally for identifying with Jesus and his ethical teachings. Um, taking him seriously and God's word seriously. Uh, the drifting, slow drifting away from Christ as these rhythms are, are churned over uh, in light of this pandemic and drifting from the gathering um, of Christians and meeting with one another. And so Hebrews wakes exhausted Christians up by shining the spotlight on Jesus and encouraging us by reminding us that he is worth it. And it reminds us that true community is a great gift, and it's an urgent necessity for Christians. So this book is written to put wind behind our emotional sails again. So we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25 in particular this morning. And I feel like there's 12 sermons in these few verses here. So we'll get one, and it's even somewhat abbreviated this morning. Uh, but we'll focus on two main themes here. The privilege of prayer and the urgency of community. 
So let's read Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25. Pray and ask the Lord's help as well. So Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you to be reoriented and refreshed by your word and spirit. So we believe that the words we just read are your very words to us. They're true and they're powerful. They're living and active. And so we pray that as we consider these words and meditate on these words and reflect on these words, you would, by your spirit, work your truth deep into our souls, reset our priorities, encourage us, comfort us, exhort us by the Spirit in the various ways that we all have need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the message of this text. Since Jesus has opened up the way to God's presence as our priest, then we should draw near to God's presence. We should hold fast to our confession of hope, and we should encourage one another. So as we shift from our outdoor gatherings, which have just been a blast, I am so sad that the weather is terrible today. Um, But here we are. I'm happy to meet together. And so we're going to be inside for a while. Um, I say for a while because who knows? You know, if if we need to move back outside when the weather gets nice, we'll figure it out. Um, But we're inside now. And so in light of this transition, let's have fresh encouragement from the Lord to rekindle our joy and our commitment to be together, our eagerness to encourage one another uh, and know the Lord. So first, the privilege of prayer and then the urgency of community. So the privilege of prayer. Now, one thing that we need in these unstable times is to be reminded of what is true, don't we? What is still true, though so much has changed? No matter how the upcoming presidential election comes, or it turns out, no matter what happens with this virus, no matter what happens with our personal struggles, as deeply significant as they are, here's what's still true. God is there, and He has opened wide His welcome to us, and we have great confidence to draw near to Him because Jesus has opened the way. Verses 19 and 20, let's look at these again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
let us draw near. So the key imagery here is this temple imagery. He's saying, we have confidence to enter the holy places. Do you see that? He says, we have a new and living way through the curtain. So here's the picture. In the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel the tabernacle, which is kind of a portable dwelling place, and then later the temple. And as the priest, as priests would enter into the court, they would be able to go into the holy places, a room in the temple. And then there was another room at the heart of those holy places, which was the most holy place. It's the place where, now God is omnipresent. He is, we find him, his presence everywhere. But he caused his presence to dwell in a special way among Israel in the temple, and in particular in the most holy place. And so this was the place of God's special presence, and only one person could enter into that most holy place. And it was the high priest on the day of atonement, this one day a year when this great sacrifice, these sacrifices were made. And notice what this communicates, this setup. It communicates both a warning and a promise. It's a warning because only that high priest could go in and only once a year and only after blood was shed through an an animal sacrifice. So this shows us that because of our sin, we are kept out. We are separated from God. We're not yet restored to His presence Only one person could symbolically enter God's presence. And if we don't come with sacrifice, that priest didn't come with sacrifice, he would not be allowed in, likely be struck dead. But this is also a promise because the temple uh, was this symbolic picture of the future. It taught Israel that God had a plan to let his people back into his presence again. One day he would dwell again with them like in Eden. The temple was really, it kind of looked backward in history to Eden, where God dwelt with his people. And Adam and Eve would dwell with him and fellowship with him in true communion and community and friendship. But then that was lost because of sin. And so God gave Israel the tabernacle and the temple as this symbolic picture of his presence being restored to his people again. So when that, when that high priest went into the most holy place, that was a picture of Adam representing humanity re-entering God's presence. What a, what a picture. But it was limited, right? Because it's just one person symbolically representing God's people, but it was a promise. That whole temple picture was a, a promise of the future when it wouldn't just be one person entering in, but all God's people restored to his presence, like in Eden, but in better, when the new creation is filled with his presence. You know, side note, in Revelation 21 and 22, when it talks about the new creation, it pictures the new Jerusalem, this holy city, this new creation, like a cube. And the only other cube in the Bible is this most holy place, because it's saying that the, the earth will be covered with the presence of the Lord again, will dwell with him in his most holy presence once again. And so it's, this is a great promise. And so here's what these verses are saying then in Hebrews. Jesus is the great high priest. He has offered the final definitive sacrifice once and for all for our sins. And he has now opened up the way to God's presence. Now we wait for that new creation when we will dwell with God again. But Jesus has brought that into the presence already. And we now can go to the Lord and his temple presence, not by coming to a building, but move in our hearts to his presence. 
and dwell with him and draw near to him. So this should radically shape how we think about prayer. Look at this. We have, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So there's a new kind of access that we have to God's presence. That whole temple set up with the high priest going into God's presence each year has changed. Jesus has opened up the way to God's presence. And notice that word confidence. It's saying that we have this confident boldness to draw near to God's presence. And why can we have that confident boldness rather than this caution that Israel would have not even being able to enter in? Well, because verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and because he's our high priest. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, it is a fearful thing to come into the Father's presence. But God has given us the sacrifice of Jesus. He came to shed his blood for us. He was sacrificed for our sins so that they would be removed from us. So we can now enter God's presence clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, fully acceptable in his sight, not because we're so great in ourselves, but because he's so kind and merciful. And God's given this to us. This is what we mean when we include in our prayers in Jesus' name. Right? When we pray in Jesus' name, we're drawing near to God by the blood of Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're drawing near to God, and when we say in Jesus' name, part of what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of why it is that we're able to even draw near to God with such boldness and confidence. We're saying, essentially, I'm coming to you, Father, in the name of Jesus because of his sacrifice and by his authority, not because I've proved myself worthy of coming into your presence, not because I have some kind of authority in and of myself, but I'm coming not even with fearful trepidation, but with confidence in Jesus' name. I mentioned several weeks ago, this is why I don't, it's really important that we, we think through what we mean when we say in Jesus' name, and we don't just kind of throw it in there as kind of a conclusion to the prayer. It's also why I'm not quite, well, I think one of the reasons why there's a, a pattern I've observed um, among Christians praying, saying, Father, I come in your name, or Father, in your name we pray. That's, that's, I think, because we haven't reflected enough on what we even mean by praying in Jesus' name. Because we're not praying in the Father's name, we're praying in Jesus' name. Because we're saying we're coming to the Father by the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, on his authority, in his name, as our great high priest who, who blazed the way and welcomes us in. So we always pray in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean you need to say those three words, in Jesus' name. Um, may even be helpful for a while not to say it, but to say the heart of it. Say, Father, I come to you because of Jesus alone. He has made me worthy to come, not because I'm worthy in myself, but because of his sacrifice, which you so graciously gave through him. So, Jesus purchased our clearance into God's presence. He purchased our key card. We have the passcode. We have this privilege to come into the king of the universe's presence. And so, what should we do in light of this? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Anyone can do this. Kids, you can do this. Your maker welcomes you to come into his presence. Doesn't matter how old you are. You can come into the presence because of Jesus, presence of God because of Jesus, and he has a kind heart to receive you. You can talk to the God who made you. And for all of us, here's a question. How is your prayer life going since March? 
Has it changed at all? How is your time communing with the Lord through His Word and prayer and drawing near to Him through the day? You know, once COVID spread, I'm sure that many people have drawn even closer to the Lord, but I know for many of us, our rhythms of life were thrown off, and studies are showing that Christians are praying and reading their Bibles less, less often. It's, I felt this. It's been hard for me having to reset my rhythms and drifting and coming back. And so this morning, I encourage you to freshly receive the Lord's welcome to draw near again. Let this morning be, like this moment be a turning point for you to draw near to God like you never have before. In fact, can we just pause right now for a moment and draw near together in prayer and ask him to do this? Let's just do this right now briefly. Our Father, we draw near to you by your Spirit's enabling and because we have confidence through Jesus. Thank you. For from the foundation of the world, planning to rescue us and restore your presence to us through the blood of Jesus. And so we pray that you, by your Spirit, would rekindle this desire we have to dwell in your presence and to draw near to you, significantly and focused at least once a day, and then throughout the day, drawing near and drawing near and drawing near to you. We pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's the privilege of prayer, to come into the Lord's presence with boldness. Second, now, the urgency of community. Look at verse 24. And also in light of this, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Every church can and should have a culture of deep, sincere, regular encouragement. And every member of a local church shares in that sacred responsibility to cultivate that kind of culture. It's not something one person can do or a team of leaders can do. We're all in this together. We have this great privilege and this sacred responsibility to stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage each other to hold fast to Christ uh, and to meet together. When I was in college, one of the resident leaders called his group of resident assistants the stirrups. Um, I always thought that was a little bit strange, but I've come to really appreciate it because he, he did that based on this verse. The stirrups, because he wanted the men of his group, these nine or so men, to be devoted to this great purpose, to stir one another up to love and good works. And this is one of our purposes in the world as Christians. The Lord gives us this. He doesn't just invite us to draw near. He then sends us out with his presence to bless the world, to serve in our vocations, to love and do good works to bless the world in a thousand different ways. And this is what our culture needs. It needs Christians who truly know the Lord and have evidently been in His presence and who then come from His presence just radiating the smile of God to the world, blessing with love and service and good works, entering into our relationships and our vocations differently because of our time with the Lord. So I just want to draw attention to three aspects of this calling here. Uh, and, and ahead of time, this gives our work dignity, 
This requires intentionality, and this urges us to meet together. So first here, this gives our work dignity. One of the most important verses is right here for understanding the, how we integrate faith and work. Because for many of us, our vocation is the, the primary way in which we love others and do good works in the world. And it's incredibly important to know that it's not that the Lord kind of saves us to do some Christian things over here, and then we kind of take a break from that to do our, our work or enter into our primary callings, and then we kind of come back to Christian things. No, the Lord saves us and sends us to do good and to love through all the avenues of our lives. Every moment of our day matters, the, and the Lord values our work. He calls us to serve and to love and to do good works through our vocations, and He's pleased with it as we do this in faith. And we don't do this to earn His favor, to prove ourselves to God. This actually shows us that our motivation is rooted in our acceptance before the Lord. That's the logic of this text. He's not saying, go love and do good works, good works, and then God will let you into His presence and you can feel confident to come before Him. No, this is saying we have confidence to draw near to God because of our great priest Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice. We're accepted and beloved and known. We can draw near. And what that reality does is it sprinkles our conscience clean. It washes us, to use the language of this, it purifies us for good works because we have a fresh motivation to love and serve because we're accepted by the Lord. And if your vocation right now is raising children and that's the context for you, then that's the context, a primary context for your good works. You may feel like preparing a meal for a child or children doesn't matter, but it is a noble act of love. And you can draw near to God in that moment and serve for His glory. So this gives our work dignity, your work. Good work, well done. It gives it great dignity. Second, this requires intentionality. Notice that it says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So this means it doesn't just happen without giving thought. We can't just kind of hear this sermon and say, man, I'm really encouraged about this idea of spurring people on to love and good works. And I'm all about that. And then kind of just go through your week and kind of expect it to happen. This takes consideration, thoughtfulness, pausing and actually having time to think. How am I uniquely and in concrete ways, going to spur other people on to love and good works. We need to think it through. So stop and ask yourself some questions. Maybe here's two questions to ask yourself at maybe have a discussion at lunch today or with your small group this week or just time drawing near to God's presence this afternoon. Here's two questions. Uh, who and what? First, who do I need to meet with to encourage? Maybe it's someone from your small group. You just start with one person if you, if you don't have a rhythm of this already. Or maybe it's someone you connect with after the service here. Maybe it's someone newer to ZF um, who, who isn't yet folded into relationships. So ask yourself, who do I need to pursue to encourage? And this could be for an intentional plan of ongoing encouragement. It could just be, who today do I need to call or text or email or get together with to just encourage them? may even think right now, who after this service do I need to make sure I go to to encourage? So who? Second question is what? What is my plan to help them grow? Maybe you can meet with someone for several weeks to read a Bible-saturated book. Um, 
I've mentioned before, I, I don't think this gift is listed in the New Testament list, but I have the spiritual gift of book recommendations. So if you need one, really the resource corner, and they're listed on our website. It's kind of our list of book recommendations. So um, what's, what's your plan to help people grow? This is what it means to be and make disciples, to help other believers follow Jesus and to help others come to know Jesus to follow him. So we need to be even more intentional in light of this new pandemic. And I've been so encouraged by the different ways I've seen many of you all do this. Um, A few days ago, I reached out to our staff and elders to just ask them to share with me what they have observed. I asked them to share how they've seen people creatively spurring other up on to love and good works. So here's a few of their responses. Encouraged to see someone start a women's book club for several weeks. Uh, Encouraged to see people committing to the Habits of the Heart women's Bible study, especially when everything's so different. Encouraged to see people step in to lead high school small groups. Encouraged to see people linger longer after the services in meaningful conversation. Encouraged by the many small groups who have found ways to stay connected. And encouraged by the sensitivity they show to be flexible to include everyone based on their comfort with masks and distancing. Encouraged to see men joining men's breakfasts and growth groups. Encouraged to see so many people rallying around and praying for those who have physical suffering in this time. Encouraged by those who have sent personal notes to others, who have given spontaneous gifts to others, or unprepared gifts, or gifts that weren't expected. Taking walks with others. So well done. Little sampling of many ways. And finally, this urges us not only to, be, be in, to, draw, or to draw near, be intentional, but also to meet together. Verse 25 shows us the urgency of true community, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I encourage you to write that down, memorize that verse, meditate on that. It's, you've heard me say that over the past six months several times. Some of the people in the community that first received this letter, these Christians in the first century, uh, were neglecting to meet together. They formed a habit of not joining the church's gatherings and relational connections. And if we knew them, we would be sympathetic at some level because it seems like many of them felt like their physical safety was at risk. You read through this book, you get, you get glimpses of what's going on. It seems like some Christians were in prison. That verse that some of you are familiar with that talks about visiting those in prison, that's, that's most likely not just referring to prisoners in general, but visiting fellow believers who are in prison because of their faith and don't neglect to visit them. It needed to be told to these Christians because in that time, if you didn't visit these believers in prison and give them the food they need and the, the comfort and clothing they needed, they wouldn't have it. But... I, associating with persecuted Christians in prison who are in prison for their faith, and you associate with them them as a Christian, what does that mean for you? You might get thrown in prison too. So there's persecution, there's reputations being thrown in the dirt, and it seems like many of them were, were drifting and becoming apathetic to Jesus, wondering if it was worth it. And the author sees this, though there's great sympathy, which is why he's encouraging them. He sees it, though, as an, a matter of urgency, that these Christians, no matter how important their reasons for not gathering, he, it's a matter of urgency that they not neglect meeting with other believers. It's because 
to stop meeting with other Christians is part of the path to abandoning Jesus. The text right after this one is the strongest warning in the book, or one of the strongest warnings in the book about abandoning the faith. And the end of that path is a fearful expectation of judgment. The path of leaving Jesus often starts with just some very small steps, drifting, a growing apathy, starting to not prioritize meeting with other believers and being part of the church's gatherings, no longer drawing near to God. God has given us Christian community for the sake of helping us hold fast to Christ and be encouraged and persevere. As John Piper put it a number of years ago, I've just never forgotten it the first time I heard it. Um, perseverance in the faith is a community project. We must persevere to the end to be saved. And that perseverance requires Christian community. We need others and others need us. So what does this mean for us today? Well, it means that gathering with other Christians is not an optional part of the Christian life. When we meet on Sundays, like we're doing this morning, we are gathering to hear God speak to us as a people. We gather to Him in prayer and singing. We gather to fellowship and encourage one another. When we come early and linger longer and have time of fellowship on Sundays, that's not just an optional part of our morning. It's an essential part. And then that spills into the rest of the week, too. That's why we value small groups and biblical friendship Um, Another context to grow so that we can be together to spur one another on to love and good works. And this requires real, physical, embodied relationship and presence. And so here's the tension that we're feeling, right, and that we do feel in the midst of our current situation. We've had to use Zoom and other things for a lot of meetings. I mean, for a while as a church, we didn't meet physically in, in one of those presents, for a while, we did this, the live stream together, all of us. And even now, many people at home are not able to gather because of health concerns, legitimate health concerns. So, but here's the tension. Even though that's true, yet while we embrace this exceptional season, we have to remember that it is exceptional, and we have to not grow comfort, comfortable with this. This is not ideal. We both thank the Lord for Zoom, and we say it's not ideal. We both thank the Lord for live streaming, and we say this is not ideal. We receive this, these as temporary gifts, but we long to move back toward embodied, regular, personal, whole church gatherings. So in this time, we are reminded the church is not a building, it's a people, right? Uh, but the church is not a building we enter, but it is a people who gather. The church is not just wherever a Christian shows up with another Christian and decides to talk about Christian things. Uh, the Lord has established local churches that are families, church families, with leadership structures, and it's an overlapping network of mutually encouraging relationships where we're known and we know one another and we encourage one another, and we need that. And, and, it requ- and we were made to be embodied in, in, in presence with one another and in physical presence with one another. And there's something irrepla- irreplaceable about a church family meeting together for true worship and true community 
and life on mission. So I just want to give a specific word to all of us in different situations, and we'll wrap up in just a couple minutes here. Um, We'll wrap up this portion uh, because I'm really looking forward to the last part of our service um, where we'll consider some things moving forward and updates um, in a few minutes. But for the sermon, a few more more words here. Some of you uh, have been coming regularly, and you have come to encourage others, and thank you. We need you. I need you. Uh, And let's press on to keep doing this. Some of you have had uh, health concerns, and you've needed to stay home for now. Some of you are joining us in spirit and viewing the live stream, and you're at home, and you wish you were here, and you have health concerns that are legitimate, and we support you. We honor that decision. We are grateful for this temporary gift of live streaming. And so my encouragement to you would be continue to do as much as you can to fulfill verses 24 to 25 here, Uh, to meet together, to send notes, to make a habit of actually being part of the live stream, creatively think and pray of how to love and stir one another up to love and good works. Some of you uh, may have been on the fence or may be on the fence. Maybe you're planning on staying home on Sunday mornings, now that we're going to be gathering back in the building. Maybe uh, it's not because of health concerns. Um, So I want to gently exhort you, if you feel like you're on the fence or if you're home and you're home and you're kind of on the fence, this is a gentle exhortation in light of verse 25 here. Uh, And I just want to think through or encourage you to think through what are your reasons for not gathering together? Maybe you don't want to wear a mask. I'd encourage you to realize that uh, many, you may have good reasons for not liking masks. You may have convictions about masks. You may think, you know, there's something going on politically with this mask thing. And I just would encourage you that as important it is to think through those things and as good of reasons you may have, this text, God's Word, urges you to prioritize the physical gathering with God's people over your convictions and preferences about masks. Maybe you're nervous about having squirmy kids in the service. Uh, You don't want to be a distraction. And so I encourage you to come and keep coming. I know it's hard. Many of you are feeling it right now that it might be hard. Um, But it's a good thing. And I'd encourage you to consider this. This is how most Christians have met throughout history and around the world, right? The modern Sunday school is a newer, relatively newer thing in history, and it's a great blessing. Um, But you know, let's, let's just embrace our connection with the heritage. And I've been encouraged to hear from so many of you, um, both kids and parents who've told me that your kids have gotten a lot out of the messages and the services, um, even when it looked like they weren't listening. You've shared with me how later things will come up, and I felt that as well um, with my boys. Boys, you've done a great job, and I'm encouraged that you're hearing uh, this sermon here. So let's embrace that for this season. Um, to bring kids, and uh, maybe you want to be in the overflow room. There's some tables over there. Uh, Take a break and go to the lobby for a time. That's totally fine. Um, We celebrate this, bring snacks, bring coloring books, whatever you need to do. Um, Let's just embrace this and let that not be an obstacle to disobey God's Word here. Maybe you have just fallen out of the habit. COVID's thrown off the rhythms. We started the live stream and all had to do it, and maybe you've never really gotten back into the rhythm and habit of Regathering here. Maybe you're staying home because it's convenient and comfortable. 
Um, And I know that's true for some because I've had conversations with many of you, and I know others have as well. And so I just want to remind you of this calling to Christians to not be consumers, but contributors. We're We're not to just consume information that can be, even just coming here, we can be consumers. So let's not view the live stream or come as consumers, but as contributors. We're here to participate in the whole service, to unite our hearts together and our voices together, our minds together, to hear God's word together, to encourage one another and fellowship together. So if, if you're using the live stream merely for comfort and convenience, then that's not its purpose. It's a great gift, a temporary gift for legitimate good reasons, but that wouldn't be one of them. And God himself welcomes you and invites you and calls you to engage. So, end of gentle exhortation. Here's what this text reminds us of. It reminds us of our purpose as a church. We exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus who are a community of worshipers on mission. The heart of discipleship is those three words, worship, community, and mission. And we see all three in this text, don't we? We worship God as we draw near to him in the word and prayer. We have community as we encourage one another in true community and exhort and exhort and encourage one another. And then we go on mission to live lives of love and good works. And these all overlap. All of it is an act of worship as we do love and good works. We need community to spur one another on to mission and we do it together. And so we do this because a great day is coming. And that's the final note of verse 25. All the more, Do this all the more as you see the great day drawing near, that day when Jesus returns. He's blazed the path to God's presence, and he's coming back. And so we live with a joyful urgency to spur one another along in view of that great coming day. So what a gift this word from the Lord is to us this morning. And what a privilege it is to have this way blazed for us that we can draw near to God with full assurance and confidence that we can know one another in true community, as creative and exceptional as this time needs to be for us, and we can live fruitful lives of mission. So I'm going to pray, then we'll sing a song, and then we have a a portion at the end of our service that's going to be devoted to some updates. So we usually have these family gatherings that we um, have a couple times of the year where where we come back to meet for um, encouragement and updates from leaders and hearing how God's working in our, in our lives. And so um, rather than inviting us all to come back later, we'll just have an abbreviated portion here after this song, and we have some exciting things um, to share and to do together. So let's pray and then sing. Our Father, we draw near to you in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit's enablement. And we thank you for this beautiful vision of your glory in Jesus, your invitation to draw near, and this privilege of spurring one another on to love and good works. We pray that this morning you would fill us with the joy of this calling and by your Spirit spur us on to do this all the more in coming days. In Jesus' name.